your job is, if you want to lead from a vulnerable space, is to be transparent, to say what is happening, and then to give opportunities for people to to chime in or not. Hello, people first leaders. What is up and going on in 2021? Man, it is time. My name is Chris Lynn. I am your host and advocate for the Leading People First podcast, where we explore the effect leadership has on the employee experience so we can transform the workplace to be a more positive environment for everyone. We are kicking off 2021 with a week of inspiration, and this is episode one to really get things going. I am so excited that you're joining me. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and make sure you're following us on all of our social media platforms like LinkedIn and Instagram. There's a huge disconnect when it comes to training and then performing on the job. And that's if you even receive training in the workplace. This episode's guest is Jeff Harry, and we talk about how leaders need to practice failure, vulnerability, and discomfort through play. Jeff shows individuals and companies how to tap into their true selves to feel their happiest and most fulfilled all through play. Jeff has worked with some incredible organizations like Google, Microsoft, Southwest Airlines, Adobe, the NFL, Amazon, and Facebook. Not a big deal at all. He is also an international speaker who has presented at conferences such as Inbound, South by Southwest, and Australia's PauseFest showing audiences how major issues in the workplace can be solved using play. So get ready for some inspiration by the very awesome Jeff Harry. Let's dive in. Hey, Jeff, thanks so much for coming on the Leading People First podcast. It's great to have you, man. Hey, I'm super excited. Let's go. Awesome. Well, first things first, let's kick it off. What does it mean to you to lead people first? Oh, what does it mean for me to lead people What I think it means to lead people is my main goal is to organize myself out of a job. I I learned that first when I I did a lot of campaign work um, and I've done that as a leader since is I constantly want to be empowering the people below me to become leaders that are even better than I am, right? So then I don't need that job anymore because if I've done that, I trust that another job will be there for me. And I think a lot of times when I see really bad leaders, they they are pushing down talented staff because they're so worried about that person taking their job. And frankly, the the fact of the matter is usually they they do it anyway, even when they push them down. Yeah. It's almost like this unintentional thing that they do, right? It's like, you know, like if bad leaders are bad they it's because they have like these habits or things that they just like ignore or just like refuse to accept right 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 and and it's also just even thinking i think i saw this recently with simon sinek where he was talking about middle management and like how do people become managers they did a job well some task well and then they were like you know what's the best idea why don't we promote you to the next place because then you can show everyone else how to do it exactly how you do it but it never works out that way right (laughs) they've never been trained on how to be a leader they've never been trained on how to manage they a lot of times they're really bad at connecting with people they're frustrated because they're like just do it my way and you'll be successful but people can't 
do that. So, you know, and, and Sinek was talking about how he would talk to, you know, really, you know, phenomenal organizations where the leadership and the culture was strong, but when they, by the time they got to the staff at the bottom, it was broken. Yeah. And he would talk about how the middle is where it breaks. It breaks in the middle. And when you have an insecure manager, you know, that, that really is not leading, that's where you have a huge problem. Yeah. Well, I, I want to showcase just a little bit something about your own leadership because you won't say it yourself. So I reached out to Lauren Yee what? and, she, you know, to ask her, you know, like what, what uh, stands out to you about Jeff? And so I'm just going to read it straight up. So she said, Jeff is an amazing leader in so many ways. He is enthusiastic and open-minded, kind of like a giant kid who feels like anything could be possible. And these characteristics make for a really inviting and cozy space uh, for people to share ideas and concerns and feedback. There's no ego with Jeff. And because of that, he's able to magically find this balance of leading and following. Like he can come up with an idea and then pass it to you with little to no preconceived expectation on how you'll respond but know that you may have more thoughts, insights, additions, and he's okay with not having all the answers. So, man. <laughs> awesome, dude. I love that you did that. Oh, let's go. So, I mean, it, it just shows, you know, the kind of leader that you are. And the thing that I think is very interesting about your background is you have this incredible upbringing and story from your parents immigrating to becoming professionals in the medical mm -hmm. field, all the way to where you are now, you know, leading people through play. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, growing up myself in an Asian household, right. Like it's like you have one expectation and then going into something like creativity is like totally like, I'm sure just wonky. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And one way that I love that you clearly lead people first was when you had your dream job at Toys R Us, right? Uh -huh. And the company sent that message to employees that you guys were a community or you guys were a family. And then they laid a bunch of people off, right? <laughs> like they it's did. like this, it's like this total, like, you know, paradoxical, like dichotomy. And, and so yep. then you ended up trying to rally employees into unionizing. So what was yep. the moment in time that made you realize, Hey, I'm a leader because I care about people. Um, I didn't think I was a leader when I did that. Like, I didn't even realize people said you were like, Oh, you did the Jerry Maguire. And I was like, what's that? It was just like, I, I printed out this manifesto and I was stuffing it in like boxes <laughs> because all I wanted to say when I, I did this, and I remember I was in New York times, this was Times Square's Toys R Us, by the way. Like <laughs> this is their flagship store. Like, you know, their Ferris wheels in there, the Jurassic Park uh, dinosaurs in there. That's where I used to play with toys for a living, like right underneath that thing. Um, you know, and we had, oh, and by the way, in our, all of our interviews, we had to sing the Toys R Us song. So like, like the, you know, they're really trying to build this camaraderie um, only to then, only then to like, with one group, they laid off a bunch of night shift people halfway into their shift at 3 a.m. Wow. And then had police escort them out. So like, you know, people that had devoted their lives, given up their Christmases, given up their Thanksgivings to be here only to be treated like crap. So when I was writing that letter, I was just like, it doesn't, I don't feel I'm a leader at this point. I just feel like someone needs to say something. Yeah. And, it, you know, and I was like, well, I don't have anything to lose. So I might as well just say it. 
So that's usually how I feel with anything, right? <laughs> Where I'm like, you know, I'm not trying to like follow me, everyone, you know, because I, I would even talk about this when I used to do a lot of campaign work is if you want to know who the GSDer in the room, can I swear on this podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Yeah. yeah. If you want to know if you can be a GSDer, you know, the get shit done person at a campaign, all you need to do is walk into the room. Don't go to the, you know, the person that is like the main person of that campaign office because they're usually not the leader. All you have to do is walk in and just wait for a little bit and you'll start to see the gravity everyone's gravitating towards one person. Everyone's yeah. going to that one person. And like, you know, you can't have, you can't have, you can't be a leader if you don't have followers, but you know, so it just happens naturally. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, for any of your listeners, I would say like, who cares if you don't have the title, if you are standing up for what you feel is right, you know, then people will follow you. Yeah, exactly. So what was that light bulb moment for you then when you realized Hey, you know, I, I'm a leader. I mean, maybe when I was uh, growing the, you know, Lego inspired STEM organization and I'd been doing it for maybe five or six years at that point. And I remember this is interesting is, you know, you know, we have immigrant parents, right. You know, <laughs> never satisfied, never like always like, you know, so my dad, he's Caribbean would always ask me, he's like, when are you going to get a real job? When are you going to get a real job? Like I was literally playing with Lego for a living. And then six years in, maybe even five years in, I was telling him because we had, we, you know, we had taken this fledgling organization that was maybe seven people. And then all of a sudden it was 250 people. And the way we did it was just playing. Like we had no business plan. We made it up as we went along. We picked cities that were fun. We picked people that were fun. We just experimented, failed miserably. But through all that trial and error, we had now built like a legitimate STEM organization. It was one of the largest at the time, right? And I was telling him this and all of a sudden I was just like, man, wait a minute. Like I built this, like, oh my gosh. Like I realized <laughs> I was like, I'm a, I'm a badass right now. Like I'm proud of this. And I, at that point, I didn't feel like I needed the approval of my dad anymore. And as soon as that like shifted in my mind, he starts asking me questions as an equal, which was crazy because I was like, this is what I've been seeking my whole life. <laughs> and now I don't need it. And now it's here, you know? So it was so interesting. I think it was at that moment that I was like, oh, wow, I am building something and people are following me. Th that need for approval and validation from your parents is something that like, I think everyone is looking for. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's something that is so powerful. And unfortunately, and I will say, unfortunately, like drives us sometimes in toxic ways. Like, Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. So, I mean, it's great that, you know, the moment that shifts in your brain. And I think that happens for a lot of people, just no matter what it is, right. is when you stop thinking about what other people think about you, right. you can really focus on your work and what you love doing. Like then it, everything, everything changes and transforms from that point forward. Right. Every, I mean, I, I always reference the Viola Davis quote of like, you know, with each decision you make, you either claim who you are or you end up chasing your worth for the rest of your life. And how many people do you know that are chasing their worth that are like looking for external validation you know, and I always ask a lot of my clients, you know, you know, entrepreneurs that are building, I'm like, who are you trying to impress right now? Like you're trying to impress your parents. Are you trying to impress like, you know, other entrepreneurs, people in your, like, you know, your mastermind, like, because if it's someone that you don't really care about five years from now, what do you, why are you doing what yeah. you're doing? Right. 
you know, and one of the biggest regrets of the dying is I didn't have the courage to live the life that I wanted to live, but the life that others expected of me. And it's like, dude, these people are on their deathbed telling us this. So yeah. what are we doing trying to impress somebody else? I mean, that's so applicable within organizations too, right? Yeah. He's like, stop trying to impress the big boss. Stop trying to impress, mm-hmm. you know, whoever, like do just do good work. Focus on what you love doing. Focus on what you're good at. Hopefully those two things merge, but you know, just, and just have fun with it, man. Like stop right. stuff so seriously. Right. Like stop doing high school all over again. I feel yeah. like we never got out of high school. <laughs> just yeah. new versions of high school all the time. And it's just like, it, you, you don't care about those people at high school anymore. Right. You don't think about them. So it's the same thing now. Yeah. Totally. Totally. I I do want to ask something going back to, you know, your, when you first got into Toys R Us and and when you had applied for all these jobs as a kid, after watching Mm -hmm. that movie big, did you ever think about becoming a Disney Imagineer? I didn't even know that was a thing. I don't even think I, I don't think of the Imagineers as they are now where there's like an actual department. Um, I don't know if that existed at the time. Like, but, but again, I didn't know, right. I was just yeah. writing anyone and everyone. And, and I would write these five page letters to toy companies with like my ideas. Like I remember writing, I think it was Activision. They, they made a WWF game. And then like two years or one year later, they came out with the game and I was like, they stole my ideas. Those are my ideas. Oh. You know, so I remember that, but it was just like, you know, I, I, my, my mom would just drive me to the post office, you know, and let me drop off my letters. But I think she just had no idea what I was doing. and was like, this is what he wants to do. He's not getting in trouble. I'll just let him, you know, type on his word processor and keep sending <laughs> letters to toy companies. Yeah. So that's so funny. Well, I, I just had to ask that because, I, you know, I'm a huge Disney fan myself. And I think of Disney yeah. right, as like this big creative company. And unfortunately, they're going through a lot of crap right now with the pandemic. Yeah. But yeah. Ugh, yeah. Anyway. Um, so going back to your work, uh, when you look at curiosity and play being some of the things that are often seen as right fun and lighthearted, we are currently, you know, on the other hand, in this movement to really fight for diversity, inclusion, and equity for multiple reasons, right? Race, gender, LGBTQ, and, and many others. So yeah. where do you see curiosity and diversity, equity, and inclusion intersecting, and how can they help one another to help us progress as a society? I think curiosity, and, and I just ran a workshop for an HR virtual summit called How to Not Be Racist at Work by Accident, right? <laughs> and the, yeah. whole, the whole point of the workshop was, you know, to be curious, like, you know, am I, am I saying something that might come off as racist? Am I saying something that might create um, a level of exclusivity without people realizing it. I think a lot of times we're so, we, we think by tiptoeing around an issue and not saying anything, we are able to make, not make mistakes. But I think that's worse than actually being curious and having the conversation of like, you know, hey, you know, should I, you know, when I reference black people, should I say black or African-American? Like, like just asking random those questions, hey, you know, do you go by she, you know, you know, or yeah. they, right? And 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 explain to me why do you go by they? Like, be curious about it so that you can understand it more and actually show more interest and gain more of a perspective and have that shared humanity than being like well, I don't know what you know, she, that person's just super weird, right? Yeah, I th- we stay too much in our silos 
And what we really need to be doing, and this is what I do at Rediscover Your Play, is having those hard conversations, but lightly, right? In a play-oriented way where we're role-playing, where we first start having conversations about things that are absurd and then slowly get into like more of the serious conversations. I don't think a lot of staff have practiced having hard conversations. And I don't think a lot of staff even practice anything. Like if you think of like the 49ers, right? They practice all week for three hours. You know, when we go to work, we never get to practice anything. It's all like produce, produce, produce. But we really need to be spending more time practicing how to create these inclusive environments. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, That's a good point around this notion of practice because we have to have this safe environment, right? To be able to like fail, right? And, and, you know, that actually leads me into my next question, right? As adults, there's something very vulnerable about play, right? And I've heard you say that, you know, in your trainings, when it comes to play, some people can sit out on the sidelines, just like when we were kids, right? Like on the basketball court, you can only fit 10 people, right? And so you're not going to have room. So how does that apply to the actual workspace when leaders are trying to garner more participation and allow or create vulnerability to allow this like play and failure in creation? So, So the power of play is the idea that you can play or not play, right? There's choice involved. Like when a kid is on a playground, they have free choice. And, and what's interesting, you know, Dr. Stuart Brown would talk about how like you can build, like when you're on the, when kids are first playing, that's where they build empathy, connection, compassion, all these things. And you notice also on the playground, there's a lot of kids that are just sitting there at first. You know, they're just like not involved. It's the same thing in the workplace where if you are trying to force vulnerability, like I've seen it firsthand where they're like, all right, everyone, you're going to all read Daring Greatly from Brene Brown and then we're going to share. You know, it's just like, no, dude, like <laughs> you have not create, uh, created a psychologically safe space. Like I ran team building events for eight, nine years. And at first I would always be like, oh, not everyone's playing. But then I realized it was just like, if they want to get involved, they'll get involved when they're ready. A lot of people are not ready to be vulnerable at the same time. So I think as a team leader, your job is, if you want to lead from a vulnerable space, is to be transparent, to say what is happening, and then to give opportunities for people to to chime in or not, right? Some people will be like, yes, I'm ready to like take on a project. And it's like, hey, I'm going to give you the freedom to fail. You know, who else wants to do this? But you give options you know, of, so that people have a choice in that. Some people are going to be like, well, at my last job, when I failed, someone fired me. They told me I could not, you know, but a lot of people have trauma from their past jobs. So you have to give the environment and the option of when to join it. But when we look at things like, you know, when to join in, especially when it comes to like exploring projects and growth yeah. in a professional setting, not just like in a training, but like a lot of times, I would say most times, people don't have a choice to like, you know, hey, I want to go in on that project or I want to go on that project or, you know, right. what, I, like I want to hold back a little bit or whatever to get ready for that project. Like, so where does that come in? Like, especially when we are being forced right now to produce like, yeah. and, and well, overproduce right now. Well, I think that's, well, f- here, let's first address that part, right? The forced to, forced to produce part, right? Like, 
we really need at this point, and I'm telling this to so many team leaders, to be more transparent of what is actually happening, right? What is actually happening um, with the company and the transparency around the company? Because a lot of companies are going through financial straits, but they're not telling their employees. So that's already built a lot of a certain level of distrust, right? But then also checking in with staff of like, how are you doing mentally? Right. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, what is going on from that standpoint? So that's just building trust because people are not going to share otherwise. As for the project, right, if you're in the middle of a project and you tell staff like, hey, I want all of you to take some risks. I want you to fail. And there's someone that's part of the team that is just like, I'm just not comfortable doing that then you're just going to meet them where they're at. Maybe that, that's just like what they're going to do their standard work. And then at some point you're going to have another conversation with them and be like, listen, I know you don't believe me when I say that you can fail and I will not fire you or I will not penalize you. What do we need to do? Right. Be curious. What do I need to do in order to communicate so that you'll at least maybe not trust me at this point, but at least give me this chance to prove that I'm actually coming from an authentic place, right? Like have that curious conversation with yeah. them. And then if they're like, I don't know, well, I don't want to talk about it right now, then they don't want to talk about it right now. So it's like, okay, just it's, that's where they're at right now. Let's not force it. Stop trying to force, you know, friendship. And <laughs> like, it's, maybe it's not there yet. Well, it's... <sighs> That, that forcing thing, right, is just so, again, it's it's not just work, but this forcing relationships too. Yeah. And that's something that I think is also um, really interesting, especially when we look at, you know, you even brought, you said it just now, authenticity, right? Yeah. Like when we talk about like workplace culture, there's always, I, I constantly hear like, we want you to bring your full authentic self to work. Yeah, they always say that. Yep. But there's a huge but to that, right, is that... Yep we they don't actually want that they want you to like fit in right and so when we and then especially again when you look at the fun aspect of cultures of of workplace cultures or what they try to pass off as fun like Mm -hmm. that gets stamped out right when someone's like oh like i want to do something fun for the team and they're like and then the organization's like nope yeah we don't have time for that yeah Yeah. so like why do you think we've created this paradox of authenticity in the workplace like what caused that i think we've like you know, bought, we know it's important, right? Like the Brene Browns, the Simon Sinek's, the Sean Akers, you know, all these thought leaders have communicated what it is like to create a psychologically safe workspace. But a lot of leaders don't want to do the work of creating, actually creating it because it's hard work. Right. Like I think of this, you know, this guy, um, I forgot, he had the Oz principle and he would talk about how most leaders think that when you're managing someone in order to in order to get certain results, you simply need to change their actions. Right. Like you do this, we get certain results. Right. Mm-hmm. But what the Oz principle talked about is underneath actions, like there's results at the top of the pyramid. Of course, it's always a pyramid, right? But it results, then actions, then um, beliefs, and then under beliefs are experiences. And your staff has had a lot of experiences, either at their last job or at this job, that communicate a certain way in which y'all do things. And if you're not willing to change their experience, the result does not change, mm-hmm. right? And that's what we do a lot of times when, you know, when you look at, I don't know, like 
you know, left-leaning and right-leaning or Palestinian and Israeli, like when people are arguing, the reason why they can't connect with each other is because they're invalidating each other's experiences. But you actually have to recognize what is the experience that your staff is having? Why have they decided to have those beliefs around your organization where maybe it's not psychologically safe? And then you have to have the conversation of like, how do we actually create that? That takes years sometimes to do. Yeah. And more so like people just want the silver bullet. They want to be like, hey, watch this Simon Sinek video, right? This <laughs> Brene Brown, we're going to take this Brene Brown course. Okay. Is everybody ready? Now let's get back to what we were doing. And it's like, it doesn't work that way, dude. Yeah. I mean, we're always looking for instant results, right? I mean, like that's why we, a lot of managers like, oh, just take this training. You'll be like, you'll, it'll exactly. fix it, Right. So the, that leads me to my next question on you know, with workshops and trainings, how do you ensure long-term success and change that, you know, whenever someone goes through your workshop or training, they don't forget it in 72 hours, right? So when we look at yeah. the, yeah. So, so th- a lot of this is all about follow-up, right? So either we will run a workshop And then we will make sure we will come up with like measurements of success. And usually they're qualitative. They're not quantitative at first, but they're qualitative conversations. Like, you know, if I'm running my workshop on like uh, how to deal with a-holes at work through play, right? The how to deal with toxic people at work. Then the next conversation I'm having either in a week or two weeks with that leader is, you know, are people starting to set boundaries with that toxic person? What does that look like? You know, if we're talking about like a workshop around like DNI work, you know, or office politics, have you noticed your staff have starting to have or navigating these hard conversations? Or we'll reach directly out to the staff and be like, do you feel a little bit more comfortable having these conversations? And usually we have to like come back because this is not like, it's never a silver bullet, but team leaders are always looking for the silver bullet. And with anything, you know, just like exercise, right? You need to practice. And I think a lot of times we don't want to practice having a hard conversation. We're like, okay, you know, I'll do it. Okay, I'm done. You know, or we, you know, it's like, think about Starbucks, right? They did that two hour race training. Have they talked about race since then? No, probably not. So nothing changed, even though they probably invested like $50 million in that two hour training or whatever it is, you know, and all the money they lost in the two hour, you know, so we need to stop approaching this with lip service and know that this is an ongoing um, practice that we need to implement. Practice, 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 man. You're, you're bringing back uh, traumatic memories of, of me and my piano <laughs> when I was playing piano as a kid. Practice, practice, practice. Oh, hated it. Oh, uh, it's not easy, right? Like, like, again, it's not, I hate the cliche that like, if it's easy, everyone would do it, but it's true. It's just like people, if, Think of, think of a place like Zappos, right? Oh, Tony Shea. Oh, such oh, yeah, a loss, so, man. Yeah, such a loss. But, but Tony, here's a perfect example of how he would show, you know, how committed he is to the culture. After, a, I think it's a month of working, he would offer to pay you three grand to leave. Be like, you yeah. can have money to leave right now. Like we don't, you know, and the people that actually didn't really care about the culture would leave. But then everyone yeah. that was there committed. So he backed it up with money. Like he backed it up with action. So yeah. you really, as a team leader, have to look at, okay, what is the mission of our organization? What are the values of our organization? 
What am I doing in my actions to actually communicate this? Totally. I mean, that reminds me of Dan Price, what he, he just did this year for the pandemic, right? Was he, you know, looking at their financials, they're like, we only have three months to be able to operate because a lot of their clients like had like canceled contracts. Right. And so he went to his team and said like, what can we do? Right. Right. And so like when you go to your team and you do it that way, mm-hmm. you get the buy-in and then it yes. empowers the employees to say like, Oh, yep. Like we are in it. Like we right. are in it together. We're going to make these sacrifices together. Yeah. Right. Well, other organizations just don't say anything, right. Yeah. They tiptoe around it. And I've seen, so I've walked into so many, you know, toxic companies recently and just been like, Oh, like nobody's talking about anything. And that is when a, a company fractures. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a really big red flag for organizations, right? When they, when no one's bringing up anything difficult mm-hmm. and that's when the company just starts falling apart. Cause you see all these cracks in the foundation of the organization and right. splits or, between departments. Or I know an organization, I haven't worked with them, but you know, I have friends that work for them where, you know, they were going through their own bankruptcy right but at the same time the leaders were being like yeah you know you know we're in it together we're all about this and then all of a sudden that leader left and it was like dude this person was straight just buying time until they could hop to the next thing while they were jumping ship so once you see that over and over again then you're like okay this is the actual culture of this organization right totally yeah well something that you you said that you wanted to talk about was how we can create unity. And I think that this is a, a good time to talk about it, right? Is when we're, when we're in a divisive time, like we mm-hmm. are today, especially here in the States, how do leaders of those organizations create unity within their, within their organizations in their workplace? And maybe how does creativity help us? I think, well, the creative part is just also just how do we tackle this problem, right? You know, how do we have transparency? If a leader is trying to like, you know, navigate this time where maybe they have staff that are on both political spectrums, they have to be the first people to model it, right? The first people to model like respect and maybe even, and this is controversial, but maybe even separate from work is you, you facilitate one of those hard conversations where you're like, Hey, you know, let's talk about politics or let's talk about how we would even want to talk about politics at this company. Maybe we don't at all, but I'm seeing it already leaking into our work already, you know, and how people are disagreeing. So this is the elephant in the room. Let's actually address the elephant in the room. Right. You know, and you have that conversation maybe with just one or two people at first. Right. And you, and you fail, you know, and you, it's awkward and it's challenging and then you do it again and then you bring more people in, but it's the idea of, of the attempt, you know, like, um, uh, you know, my girlfriend at one point, uh, with her organization, there was some topic that they weren't talking about that much. So she called a meeting just to talk about that topic and created the space to be like, I don't know, I don't have a stance on this, but let's talk about this hard issue that a lot of us have been avoiding. And, yeah. and just t- and share with me, you know, the vulnerability, how are you feeling about this? Like, you know, uh, and that is actually worth, that's actually worth it being vulnerable. And then by doing that, creating the space for others to be. Yeah, it, we we again the thing that I hear I keep hearing you say right is 
let's stop tiptoeing around difficult mm-hmm. conversations. Let's practice having that. Let's practice vulnerability and let's just, you know, like, let's just lean into it. Right. And so it's really important to, as leaders to just lead that way. You just have to have those tough conversations. I mean, I, I keep thinking about one leader in particular in my head who was always about like, Oh, those millennials, right? Like he was an older right. gentleman. And he was like, he had all these preconceived notions about yep. the incoming generation of the workforce. And, but he wouldn't talk to them. Yeah. Like he applied his assumptions to them. And that just, it just did not work. <laughs> right. Like, so, right. like, it's like, sack up a little, like, I, you know, just sack up and like talk to them. Well, well, this is where I would challenge some leaders, right? Is like, you know, from a positive psychology standpoint, do you have a fixed mindset around certain things or do you have a growth mindset around that? Identify as a leader where, what you have a fixed mindset about. What are your assumptions that you believe? And then be curious, right? Play with this and go find out. Like go find out if millennials are lazy. Actually, they're not, you know, like (laughs) some of them are working harder than, than your generation did. Like challenge your beliefs because anyone that is so sure of their beliefs is, is actually, that's when it gets really dangerous because that's when you're actually most ignorant because you're like, this is how it is. This is, you know, like uh, the amount of times that I've heard at companies where people go, well, that's just the way it is. Be curious about that. Why does it have to be now? We're in a new normal where there are no rules, where we can, when we come back into the office, we can reshape how this organization or how your team works. So based off that potential, what are you going to do to do something different? We have a huge reset button on society this year. Uh (laughs) And I think everyone wants that reset button at this point. Everyone does, but there are certain people that want to get back to normal. And it would be even an interesting conversation to ask your staff, do you want to get back to normal? What were your issues with normal before? And what would you actually want to see going forward? Totally. Yeah. I would love to see organizations and company or, and leaders in those companies have those conversations everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I want to do something. I want to do a lightning round with you. Uh, so, you know, you're all about play and creativity. So I want to hear your quick thoughts on the cliches of play and creativity. Sure. Right? So fail fast. Oh, fail fast to succeed sooner. Yep. Thoughts. Is my thought on that. Yep. Like true, not true. Oh, absolutely true. So true. Like, the more you fail, like basically whoever was willing to fail the most in 2020 was the most successful, in my opinion. All right. Think outside the box. Oh, I hate that cliche because <laughs> like the person that usually says think outside the box lives in that box. Like, <laughs> like and that box is super stiff. And even if you think outside the box, you really aren't because the box is so boring to begin with. So, you know, you know, it's, it's the, it's the same idea of when someone goes, Hey, let's have a brainstorming session. Let's get in a box room, sit at a box table and then brainstorm for an hour and then assume you're going to get the best ideas from that. You're like, Oh, like that just sounds like the death of, of, of free thinking. All right. Here's a quote from Mr. Rogers. Play gives children a chance to practice what they are learning. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's the same thing with adults, you know, like that's what we do even in our workshops is like, 
you are learning with every single role-playing challenge that you do. I think we don't, we, we still do that as adults. We just don't talk about it, yeah. you know? And when I say play, and I haven't said this enough, so I, I love that, I'm, that you're bringing this up, is everyone's playing a character at work already. Everyone's wearing a costume already. Yes. Everyone is like pretending already. I am simply proposing that you stop being so much of the professional you and just be like, yo, this is me, you know, take it or leave it. And, yep. and if that organization doesn't like you as that, then maybe that's not the right organization for you. <laughs> yep. Love that. How about uh, Curiosity Killed the Cat? Yeah, but the cat had a great life. <laughs> I just said that I just did a video on, you know, you're one risk away from changing your life, which is really amazing. Like you're just one choice away. Every moment you're one risk away. And I remember someone commenting on one of, one of my social medias and they were like, yeah, but it might kill you. And it's just like, yeah, maybe. Or it might be the most exciting life you've ever lived because your favorite moments are play moments. So why wouldn't you be pursuing more of those play moments? Yes. All right. One more from uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson. It is a happy talent to know how to play. Yes, it is. Because what you are doing is you, you have not let go of that inner child. You have not crushed that, you know, with your inner critic, because if you think about it, any of the things we're now enjoying in 2020, all the movies we're watching, all of the companies that we buy from, they all started as ideas that people were just playing with. It's all creativity, dude. Like all of the greatest <laughs> inventions in the world started off as play. The freaking bike mechanics, the Wright brothers were just messing around and now they're planes in the sky. So the more we are able to play, the more we're going to be able to navigate and really address the biggest issues we have in the world. What is uh, What does your inner child want all the time? My inner child, all well, obviously my inner child always wants to play, but my inner child always wants to explore and be like, wonder what that is going to be like. Like, I don't know, but let me just try it. You know, because I tell people all the time, if you really want to play, you need to get bored. And in order to get bored, you've got to block out social media and block out Netflix. I'm talking about for like one to two hours, right? Because you're inundated with all this information. But when you're consuming so much, you can't create. But when you block out that noise, then all of a sudden you get super bored. And if you think about when you were a kid, that's when you had your best ideas. Yeah. And it's still the same now. Like you have really cool ideas that are about to pop off. If you simply get quiet enough and let that inner child like whisper to you and be like, yo, create that podcast, man. Make that video. <laughs> that person, start that side business. Like do this thing that you know is really exciting, but also scary and follow that curiosity and see where it takes you. What is the thing that you want to explore now? Like, what is the thing that's been calling you lately? Ooh, that's a great question. Well, two things. I'm applying to all these podcasts that I have no right to apply to. You know, like Jim Quicks and Simon Sinex and Bernays. I'm just <laughs> applying to like, I'm like, why not? Let me just see, you know? Um, uh, so that has been interesting. Um, I, I think the other thing is... I proposed a workshop with my friend Humaira and it's called Dudes Do Better. <laughs> you know, check your organization to flourish. And it's all about calling out founders 
of startups that are like, I want to change the world. I want to do all this, but they actually are not doing any level of change, right? They're just like making themselves look like heroes. So we created this whole workshop about it. So I want to see the reaction of these founders to this workshop when they get called out on their own bullshit. Oh, I would love to see that. Can, can you, uh, can you film it? <laughs> I see, I, 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 maybe. I mean, we're going to be proposing it. If we get into South by, it's going to, yeah, we're going to record it. So that's awesome. Well, thank you again so much. I want, I have one last question. Yeah. What is the impact you are looking to leave or hoping to leave on the people that you lead or the people you interact with? I, I want them to believe a few different things. I want them to believe that they can get paid to be themselves. I want them to believe that everyone is making it up as they go along. So nobody has the answers, right? You have, yeah. you are the expert of yourself and you have all the answers that you need right now. Because whenever I give advice, I always tell people like, the only reason why this advice resonates with you is because you've already told yourself this advice. I'm just telling it to you in a different way. So it's, you know, it's possible to play for a living. It's possible to get paid to be you, your full you. And also no one knows what they're talking about. So you are <laughs> as much of an expert as anyone else. And if anything 2020 taught us is that, you know, it's lifted the veil on BS. It's lifted the veil on thought leaders and be like, stop listening to all everyone else telling you what to do. Stop listening to people shooting on you, right? And stop shooting on yourself and be like, what do I want to do? And see where that takes you. Because as like Howard Thurman says, you know, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive because what the world needs is for more people to come alive. Figure that out and you'll do something amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much. Where can people connect with you? Sure. So um, if they want to see my ridiculous videos, it's at Jeff Harry Plays, J-E-F-F-H-A-R-R-Y-P-L-A-Y-S. And then connect with me at rediscoveryourplay.com. Simply click the Let's Play button, you know, and then hop on a call with me and we can figure out how you can kick ass in this world and have those hard conversations at work. Awesome. Well, I want to leave you with one more, uh, one more bit of praise from your friend, Gary Ware, who said that he's had the privilege to work with Jeff on numerous projects. And one of the things that I love about Jeff is that he has an eye for spotting someone's superpower. He helps them lean into that. He is everyone's biggest fan. That vote of confidence along with guidance helps people do things they didn't know was possible. So make sure you connect with Jeff, help it, uh, let him help you find your superpower. And uh, yeah, Make sure you make sure you connect with them. Jeff, thanks again so much. Thanks so much for having me. This was awesome. I am so excited that you are tuning into this week of inspiration on the Leading People First podcast. My biggest takeaway from my conversation with Jeff was how we really need to allow leaders and individuals to practice failure and discomfort. We have a tendency to pressure ourselves and others to either be perfect or worse, never take risks because it may lead to a mistake. I loved having Jeff on and I hope you connect with him. All of his information is down in the show notes. Thanks again for tuning in. We have four more guests over the next four days this week of inspiration to kick off 2021. So make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. If you love Jeff's message and think someone you know needs to hear his message or maybe you just want to inspire someone, take a screenshot and share it out into the world. Feel free to tag us on any of our social media platforms again and 
continue the conversation with us. Let us know what you think on either LinkedIn or Instagram. Again, keep leading people first and stay awesome.